President Biden has admitted that high gas prices are a transition to a world that is less reliant on fossil fuels. This is a bombshell. This is exactly what we've been saying. It's all by design. The high gas prices are not an accident. They're not because the White House is incompetent. This is part of the master plan to literally eliminate big oil, eliminate natural gas, eliminate fossil fuels. It's it's for the environment. Biden said it. It's a bombshell. We will play you the clip coming up. All right, New York City, you know, since Mayor Eric Adams has taken over in New York City, there has been a wave of anti-Semitic hate crimes, a surge much, much higher than last year. And it is not white supremacists. It's it's minorities, it's blacks and it's Muslims. And Eric Adams has been a disaster. He's doing nothing to stop the wave of anti-Semitism. He's doing very, very little in general as crime surges out of control. We'll get to all of that coming up. I'm going to rant about Eric Adams. Meanwhile, Biden has officially hit rock bottom. Biden's, his approval ratings are the lowest of any president ever. Literally, Biden is officially the worst president ever. We knew it, but now it's confirmed. By the way, we have new details about the police response in Uvalde, Texas, and this was a huge failure by the police. The baby formula shortage is getting worse, not better. Uh, plus, we've got a lot of news out of Iran. You know, the Israelis have assassinated another terrorist leader in Iran in broad daylight. And do you know that last month the Mossad actually interrogated a senior Iranian terrorist leader in Iran? I mean, this is like stunning. The Mossad interrogated a senior Iranian terrorist and they did it on Iranian soil and they got away with it. They got a lot of good information. All right. So Joe Biden, he this is hilarious. He keeps saying things off the cuff. And then the White House keeps having to step in and clarify. You cannot make this stuff up. Biden, he keeps saying these things. And by the way, most of the time when he says these things, he's actually telling the truth. But he's saying something that was not said in a closed door meeting that he wasn't supposed to spill. You know, he wasn't supposed to reveal, but he gets confused and he actually speaks the truth. And that, of course, is something that's not acceptable. So the White House staffers then have to step in and clarify and they'll say something like, oh, well, yeah, that's just President Biden. He's technically the president. But you just ignore him. Ignore whatever Biden says because he's not actually setting the policy and he doesn't even actually know what the U.S. policy is most of the time. So this happened again last week in Tokyo when Biden deviated from decades of U.S. policy. The, the, the U.S. policy for many decades has been that if China invades Taiwan, we are not going to get involved. We're not going to intervene. And the United States would not actually you know, uh, defend Taiwan militarily. But Biden said last week that if China would attack Taiwan, he says, yeah, we're committed. We're going to have to defend Taiwan militarily, basically implying that they'd actually send in troops into Taiwan to engage with the Chinese military, which, of course, is never going to happen. So his aides quickly, they walked it back. And basically they said, oh, yeah, you could just ignore, you know, they had some way to spin it. You could just ignore that. You know, Biden really doesn't really know what he's talking about. And the mo, you know, that was reminiscent. This has happened many times. So back in March, Biden veered off track from a teleprompter speech. You'll recall this. He said that Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power. And he basically implied that he supports regime change 
in Russia and that they want to basically have Vladimir Putin overthrown. And of course, that is not official U.S. policy. I would not mind if Vladimir Putin was overthrown, but that's not official U.S. policy to support regime change. So Biden said, listen, Putin, he cannot remain. This man cannot remain in power. He was telling the truth because that's how he actually feels. And of course, that's not U.S. policy. So they had to jump in and clarify and say, oh, you could just ignore. That's just the good old, you know, the old guy, you know, just uh, spouting things out again. Doesn't know what he's talking about. It's okay. Just leave him alone. He'll go away. And then back in January, Biden implied that the U.S. might tolerate a minor incursion by Russia into Ukraine. Remember that one? And then the next day he clarified that that's not exactly what he meant. But it's really frightening. I mean, it's comical on a level, except when you realize that he's the president of the United States and he's officially in power, even though he's just a figurehead and some Obama puppet is probably calling the shots. But there's nobody in charge. There's literally nobody in charge of the United States of America, which is why it's like a third world country with the baby formula shortage and the gas prices and inflation, everything else going on. And let me just say this to the media, including Fox News. President Trump's winning record in the primaries right now is off the charts. And the reason I say this is because the media, they're focusing on like those very few times that that a Trump candidate Uh, Somebody endorsed by Trump has lost a primary so far, and there's not been many, and they'll, like, zone in on, well, Trump, he's losing his influence. Oh, he's not as influential as he was. He doesn't win every single – I mean, the man, he's literally 94-7 and so far in the primaries. Trump's – this is unheard of for a single politician, and he goes out on a limb. He will endorse candidates who are major underdogs because he thinks they're the MAGA candidate. Or like if if somebody who's an incumbent betrayed him and uh, you know didn't try to get him installed as president in 2020 and you know claim election fraud, then he'll say I'm not endorsing that candidate. So, so Trump will go out on a limb and stick his neck out and endorse people who nobody's ever heard of, and they'll win the primary. It's it's astonishing what's going on. And and like then Fox News says, well, yeah, but he lost in Georgia. You know he didn't endorse Kemp. Kemp won in Georgia. So Trump, he's not he's not as influential as we thought. Oh, you know, his his influence is waning. His influence is decreasing. Are you kidding me? I mean, 94 and 7. There is no politician on the planet and there has never been a politician with with these kinds of numbers, with this kind of track record where his endorsement, it's almost automatic that if Trump endorses you, you're going to win again. Within reason, you know, Georgia, those are some very specific – if he ever loses, it, there's like a very specific reason why he was like endorsing somebody that nobody ever heard of and the person had like no money and he was up against a very popular incumbent. But Trump just had like a vendetta against him. But like the man doesn't know how to lose. Liz Cheney, Liz Cheney in Wyoming, she's down in the polls by 30 percentage points. Trump has brought down Liz Cheney. I, you know, I don't know for sure, but I don't think she's going to – when her primary, I don't think she has a chance, and, and there is nobody else. He's the kingmaker. There's nobody else. I mean, you literally have Republicans everywhere clamoring for a Trump endorsement. So now baby formula, there's a 70% shortage of baby formula now on store shelves. Literally, the store shelves are empty. I see stores where it's four cans of baby formula, maximum per customer, and literally they have 30% right now of their normal supply of baby formula. That is even worse than, than it was a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, it was like a 55 or 60 percent shortage. Now it's a 70 percent shortage. So there's actually less baby formula available. Where is Biden? Why are they not taking Air Force One and just loading it up with European baby formula and just shipping it across? Why are they not going finding There's There's plenty of baby formula 
in the world, in Europe and other places. They just have to get it here to the United States and they're dropping the ball and they're not doing it. And, ki- and kids are getting hospitalized. This is just it's 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 horrific. It's mind boggling. All right. So as I said, Biden is officially now the worst president ever. His approval rating, his average approval rating is the lowest ever at this point in any presidency. And they've been doing this since way back 1945, Harry Truman. So 490 days into President Biden's first term. We're 400, hopefully first and only term, but we're 490 days into Biden's presidency. And his lo- he has the lowest average approval numbers um, that ever has, has any president has ever had at this stage. 40.9%, 40.9%, however they work out this average approval rating. But this is something they've been doing for years. And Biden literally the lowest of any president going all the way back to 1945, Harry Truman. Now, Trump, Trump at this point in his presidency was 42.7%. Biden is 40.9%. And Trump was on the lower side. But here's the thing. I always explain this. You cannot compare Trump with Biden for obvious reasons. Remember, Trump was divisive. Trump, there was so much negativity surrounding Trump from the media. I mean, literally, the media had this vendetta against Trump, like a 92% negativity rating, where the media, 92% of their reporting about Trump was negative. By the way, most of it was fabricated. Most of it was made up. You know, even a lot of Republicans, remember Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, a lot of Republicans were also out to get Trump. You know, didn't give him a lot of respect in the beginning until they realized, wait a second, this man is so popular and he's such a winner and he's so successful that we have to jump on the bandwagon. So Trump, he had all the odds stacked against him and they bombarded him. Remember the Mueller investigation and eventually the impeachment didn't happen at this point yet in the in, in his presidency, but he you know, he had the, the, the Steele dossier and all the allegations about Russia collusion. And they compared Trump to Nixon and Watergate for two years. For the first two years of Trump's presidency, it was totally tarnished by the the fake phony dossier and the firing of Comey then that led to the special counsel and Mueller and Rod Rosenstein and and all made up it was all a hoax and lies and they and they acted like it was real i mean it was sickening just every day i had to read these bogus headlines with nonsense phony stories with no sources anonymous sources all sorts of fake news com- c- claiming that Trump colluded with Russia never ever happened the whole thing was totally fabricated and that's what Trump was up against. And despite all of that, he still had a 42.7% average approval. And uh, Biden is way below him. And the reason for that is because Trump, his economy was booming. The country was safe. The, you know, the border was secure. And, uh, you know, he, he, he crushed Iran. I mean, he, he just did so many things right. So, and, and Biden, on the other hand, the media is his personal PR machine. I mean, Biden is... The worst president by any stretch. I mean, just of anyone objectively. If a Martian comes down and you show them the Biden presidency and you show them inflation. Well, what do you mean? The economy is great, except for inflation. If you just forget about inflation, just pretend like gas is not $7 a gallon in some places and, and, and groceries are like super expensive. Just forget all of that. And, and it's a great economy. Are you kidding me? So if you just look at Biden, you know, with the Afghanistan debacle and now with Ukraine, the war and uh, the, the, the border crisis and, and baby formula and just one thing after the next. I mean, the man is a complete, utter failure. So and despite that, the media actually reports a lot of positive sounding news about Biden, how they find it. I have no idea. So you have Trump who the media just destroyed, and, and Biden, the media is his personal PR machine. 
All right, I have to play you this clip, as I said, Biden admitting, this is stunning, Biden admitted that cre- that, that, that the reason for inflation, that inflation is a transition period, and not just inflation, but specifically the high gas prices, but all that's a result of the same inflation as, as all the other high prices, but high gas prices now are part of an incredible transition, an incredible transition where we're no longer going to be reliant on fossil fuels. Listen to this clip. When it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that, God willing, when it's over, we'll be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. I mean, it's just amazing because what he's really saying, and again, did, did he go off script? Certainly. Was he saying something that they discussed behind closed doors and they didn't want him to say? Absolutely. But what he's saying is very clear. It's right out of the Ocasio-Cortez Green New Deal playbook. He's saying by charging these enormously high gas prices, we are literally eliminating big oil. We're getting rid of fossil fuels, reliance on fossil fuels. We're phasing out because oil is going to get so expensive that we're going to have no choice but to phase out of fossil fuels and go to renewable energy, which has been the master plan all along. And he's saying it. Listen to the clip. He's not he's not blaming Putin. He's saying high gas costs. Essentially, what he's saying is we've created inflation on purpose. What do you mean it's an incredible transition? It's supposed to be a crisis, right? Americans are furious, are livid. Americans are struggling um, because they literally can't afford to fill up their gas tank. I mean, it, it, it's averaging almost five dollars a gallon in some states, it's seven, eight, nine dollars a gallon. We told you about they have to add a digit now for the ten dollars a gallon in some places. So, gas prices are just totally out of control. And Biden's saying, "Oh, it's an incredible transition. We're not going to be relying on fossil fuels, acting as though it's a good thing because this is literally the plan." I mean, he literally. You, there you have it. He it came directly from his mouth in yet another gaffe and another blunder, another another moment of honesty from Biden. Anytime you know Biden's being honest. That's like a blunder. All right, so I need to mention, before we get to the details about Ovaldi, um, new details that have uh, emerged, uh, you know, I want to talk about gun control for a minute, and obviously we spoke about this last time, but I need to make clear, you know, I'm not against gun control laws. A lot of the gun control laws, look, if it saves lives, I mean, little children or any innocent people, you know, getting gunned down, it's just it's just horrific. And it's not just about massacres like Uvalde in the school shooting. I mean, it happens every single day on the streets of New York, Chicago, Baltimore. I mean, innocent people. A lot of times it's in inner cities. It's in urban areas. A lot of times it's minorities. But it's very, very sad and tragic. And if you tell me that somehow gun control, I'm not one of these people who believes that, you know, everybody has to have access to whatever guns they want, whatever rifles they want at age like 15 years old, 17, 18 years old. Just give me any rifle I want or else you're stealing away my Second Amendment rights. Like, I'm okay adapting the Second Amendment. You know, I don't don't believe you need to have militias. Like, you know, I I don't believe that we're worried that a dictator is going to take over the country and we're going to get at our guns and and defend ourselves. I think that's a little bit silly. You know, give the guy a musket. I mean, you want to go with the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment didn't protect the person's right to own an AR-15. Second Amendment protected your right to own a musket, whatever other weapons they had back then. So, you know, let's calm down here with, uh, you know, the, the Second Amendment. If you have a two-week waiting period, then you're infringing on my constitutional rights. I'm not that extreme, personally. 
I happen to be, I'm pro gun rights. I think that people should have a right to own a gun. I think people have a right to defend themselves. But if you want to, for example, you want to raise the, uh, the, the, the age to buy a firearm to age 25, I'm open to that. Like that, that to me is not the end of the world if it would save lives to make a, to raise the buying age to 20, the minimum buying age to 25. I'm, I'm definitely not going to oppose that. I just don't think it's going to help is my point. You want to ban rifles? Look, the Columbine shooting took place in, I believe, 1999. There was a ban on assault weapons at that point. They still used rifles, but they were rifles that were exempt from the ban. So uh, it didn't work, you know. Now, uh, at least in that case, it did not work. Maybe in other cases it did. I I really believe a handgun is quite dangerous. You don't need a rifle. I understand rifles are more dangerous than a handgun, but you can do a lot of damage with a handgun. Um, Tougher and and, And it distracts from the real cause you know the, the uh, at least the real solution to me is much more about enforcing the current laws than it is about making new laws and it's about training law enforcement properly to know what to look out for and to know how to respond you want tougher background checks you want to need a license a certificate to own a gun a certain training to you know to make sure that you're capable of owning a gun um, mental health evaluations I'm I'm all in favor of all of these policies but I just don't think that it's going to prevent a lot of the shootings. I just don't think it's the answer because it's not Australia. We're not going to ban guns, okay? We're not going to go and confiscate people's guns. That I just don't believe anybody is suggesting that, even the most extreme liberal. So there's always going to be guns in the United States. I do think people are going to figure out a way to get the guns, just like they figure out a way to get illegal drugs, just like during Prohibition they figured out a way to get liquor. If there's contraband out there, they're going to figure out a way to get their hands on it. So, again, I'm not saying, therefore, don't pass these laws. You want to pass these laws, pass these laws, but let's not expect that to solve the problem. It probably won't. And meanwhile, you're going to ignore the real issues, which are the mental health issues and the fact that we need to identify these potential shooters. We need law enforcement to be on top of it. We need law enforcement response. We need to secure the schools in a proper way, not have these doors that are wide open where a shooter could just go in unencumbered, which is exactly what happened in this case in Ovaldi. So that's my point is don't distract from what I think is the real solution and don't expect these gun laws to work. But you want to do it like I'm I'm not saying I'd agree with every single one of these uh, gun laws, but I'm certainly open to a lot of them more than I think some other conservatives. But to me, improve law enforcement, enforce the existing laws. Um, and let's do both and secure the schools. You want to do both? I'm okay with that. These Democrats, some of them, they don't even want to talk. If you like, start talking about securing the schools, they say that's not a good idea. You talk about arming teachers. If there are teachers um, in these schools that have a military background, they've already used a gun. They've been trained to use a gun, and they used it for the government in the military. Why not give them a gun in the school and let them? Be part of the security team. What's the problem with that? That was President Trump's idea. It seems like a great idea. Democrats oppose it. There was a there was a bill that that came up in the Senate the other day um, that would have uh, given money to schools to more 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 safety money, more funding for school safety and security. And uh, Chuck Schumer didn't allow it to be to be voted on in the Senate, which is egregious. I mean, why would he not allow that to be? Why would you not want to fund um, schools to make them safer? I understand Schumer wants tougher gun laws, but like, why can't you do both? All right, so let's get to specifics. There, now, there is now more of a detailed timeline, and the governor himself, Governor Abbott, was actually lied to by the, and he said he's livid, that he was lied to by the um, local law enforcement, the local police department in Uvalde. But 
Let me get to some of the details here, and I'll actually go through some of the timeline because the police right now, people are furious with the police. A lot of the parents um, were actually held back by police who would not let – there were parents whose children are inside the school while the massacre is happening, while the uh, shooter is holed up inside the school, and the parents are begging the police to go in. The police didn't go in. They later said – one of the heads of the police department on CNN said that police were worried that they might get shot. Well, that, but that's their job, and again – Obviously, it's easy for us to sit here and say they should go in, but that is the policeman's job. The protocol is clearly active shooter. The protocol these days is they go in. They go in right away. They don't wait for backup. You know, they don't they don't wait for any kind of tactical team or anything. That That's old school. That's not what they do now. So I understand it's a very scary proposition, but that's what they were hired to do. That's that that's what they pledged to do. So let's get into some details over here in the timeline. The first 911 call happened uh, after the grandmother was actually shot. That's back in the home. And then uh, he actually, this shooter actually drove a, a pickup truck to the school, to nearby the school, and crashed the pickup truck. And then another 911 call was placed. So th- th- there were ample police um, on the scene really within just a few minutes, which is which is pretty fascinating, very, very different than what we originally thought. And they actually were handcuffing. They handcuffed one lady, a mother who was trying to actually go into the school herself because the cops weren't going in. And then there was a father who was actually tackled by the police as he tried to enter the school. And this is horrific. It's unspeakable. But I have to mention it. His daughter was actually killed in the massacre and he was trying to go in and the police actually tackled him. So this is very embarrassing because the police, some cops did go in early on to the to the school, but you had like dozens and dozens of police who responded or on the scene who for an hour are standing outside not going in, breaking protocol. Could they have saved lives if they had gone in? We may never know because it's not clear how much of the damage was already done early on. But we have to realize these out-of-town police departments, these small-town police departments, they're not necessarily equipped to handle these active shooter situations and they don't really have the training possible you know that's that's necessary so all right sometime after 11 a.m the shooter shoots his grandmother and as i said then he drives to the school 11 28 a.m let's go through the timeline here uh he crashes the pickup into a drainage ditch behind the school two men are at a nearby funeral home uh they're outside they hear the crash or they run outside and then they realize this man starts shooting at them he doesn't hit them but they ran away so he's shooting at them around 11.28, 11.29, and people in the school already hear the shots because that funeral home is right near the school. So 11.30 a.m., there's a 911 call saying that there's a crash and a man with a gun at the school. So 11.30 a.m., 911 is informed that there's a shooter in front of the school. Okay, that's very important. 11.31 a.m., the shooter shoots from the school parking lot toward the school, but he's still not in the school, and police cars begin to arrive. So literally, this man, at 11.31 a.m., he's still outside the school, the shooter. He's shooting toward the school, and police begins to arrive. And there's a school district police officer. So there's a guard who's supposed to be there guarding the school. He was not at that site. He was somewhere else. He was not at that location. Not clear if he was supposed to be, but he's not. He heard the um, – originally, the, the original report said that he was there, but he wasn't there. So the, the, the shooter actually ran into the school without anybody blocking him, anybody confronting him. But what happened was the school district police officer, he heard the 911 call, so he actually drove right to the school, and he approached somebody at the back of the school he thought was the gunman, but that person was actually just a teacher. Meanwhile, the officer is speeding toward the school – and it turns out the officer drove right by the shooter. The shooter was hunkered down behind a vehicle, so he didn't see the shooter. 11.32 a.m., the shooter 
basically goes toward the open door. And there's a door open which should not have been open. And that's a major breach of the security. 11.33 a.m., five minutes after crashing the pickup, the shooter enters the school and begins shooting into two classrooms, firing more than 100 rounds. 11.35 a.m., there are seven cops inside the building. This is very important. 11.33 a.m., the shooter enters the school. There are cops already on the scene. Two minutes later... Two minutes later, there are seven cops inside the building and two officers um, were grazed by bullets that were actually shot from the shooter's gun. Now, 11.51 a.m., a sergeant and other law enforcement begin to arrive. But again, there's seven police officers inside the building at 11.35 a.m. And then the big question is, what's going on for over an hour? Because the man is not killed by police until 12.50 p.m. So 11.35 a.m., He's in the building shooting, and there are seven cops inside the building, and he's shooting at some of those cops. And then it's not until 12.50 p.m., an hour and 15 minutes later, that he is actually shot and killed by officers. And by the way, 11.51 a.m., as I said, a sergeant and other law enforcement begin to arrive. Uh, 12.03 p.m., right after noon, officers continue to enter the school. As many as 19 officers are in the hallway near the room where the shooter actually barricaded himself. That's at 12.03 p.m. And there's multiple 911 calls coming in from inside the school from people who were terrified. But again, the timeline there is very, very questionable, very bizarre, and there are many questions that have still not been answered, and policemen were commanded not to enter, as I said, totally against protocol. All right, moving on, the WHO, the WHO wants the United States and a bunch of other countries to sign a pandemic treaty, and this is a disaster, this is ridiculous, and it would basically let the WHO be the ones to shape a response if there's another pandemic then the WHO would be the ones to design the response, to be the architects of how these countries, the United States and I guess England and France and a bunch of countries, um, how they would respond to another pandemic. So the WHO would then be like in charge of the response, whether there'd be a lockdown or mask mandates or all of that. So this is just terrifying on so many levels. And, you know, a lot of there's a big movement to to get the United States not to sign this pandemic treaty. But, you know, who knows what Biden's going to do. Now, the WHO, they are so corrupt. And, like, the last the last people that I want deciding how we should respond to a pandemic is the WHO because they're a corrupt political body. They're in the tank for China. I mean, they're a U.N. agency. So, like, that tells you everything you need to know right there. But, but look at their record on... On COVID, I mean, they literally their their whole job was to help fight a pandemic and help prevent a pandemic from spreading. Right, that's their whole job. So they finally this pandemic happens, and the WHO actually helped China cover up the pandemic, helped China spread it around the world instead of um, locking down and preventing from spreading. If the, if the WHO had done their job. There were estimates it could have prevented like 95% of the spread. You literally could have isolated this thing in China, which, of course, China did not want. But because that would have destroyed China's economy and everybody else would have been fine. So the WHO actually allowed China. They knew how how deadly this was. And they allowed China to spread it all around the world. And they covered, they covered up for China. And now they're still refusing to blame China for the virus leaking out of a lab because they, they literally they did an investigation covering that up. So they're evil. They are evil and corrupt. They don't care. It's all political. They don't care about preventing deaths. They don't care about health. They're not a health organization. They are an evil, corrupt, vicious organization that's totally, totally complicit with China in spreading this global pandemic. 
so why would, on earth would we want them to help shape a pandemic response? I, I, I want them thrown in, thrown in jail. Trump defunded the WHO. Biden restored the funding. And they're not a health organization. They're a political arm of the U.N., and it makes no sense to let the WHO make the rules. And there's another very dangerous part of this. You know, people are saying, oh, if the WHO is in charge, then that means the United States is going to lose its sovereignty. This is what people are saying, is that we're going to get in this pandemic treaty, and then WHO is going to say, all right, now, United States, here's how you have to respond to health. You know, they have this monkeypox uh, issue going on, which doesn't seem to be, as I've said last time, speak to a doctor. Don't take my advice, but it doesn't seem to be a major threat because it seems that it's you know very, very difficult to transmit from one person to the next. It, or at least it requires a lot of physical contact or exchanging of fluids or whatever. It's not just like uh, spreading through the air. So that's the good news. But either way, imagine the WHO decides, well, you know what? Here's how we have to we have to be careful with monkeypox. We have to lock down. All right, United States, you have got to lock down. People are concerned that then the United States is going to be forced to listen to those to those restrictions. Now, I don't think it works that way. I don't think that the United States is really going to be bound by it. But that's not the point. The point is it's terrifying because it'll give the politicians an excuse. The politicians will then blame, oh, it's part of the pandemic treaty. For example, let's say legally it's not binding. WHO says, listen, monkeypox is scary. Everybody's got to get vaccinated and um, everybody's got to lock down and work from home. Or, you know, uh, no, no no more going into work or, or whatever crazy policy they come up with, right? So maybe technically the U.S. is not bound by it. But you know what's going to happen? Biden's going to say, hey. WHO said that we've got to lock down. WHO said we've got to get vaccinated. So that's the policy. Not my fault. It's WHO. So it gives them an excuse. It gives them a scapegoat. So this is very terrifying. Just so you know, by the way, two WHO, this is a fact, two WHO goodwill ambassadors. You're not going to believe this. Two WHO goodwill ambassadors, Peng Liwan, she is the wife of President Xi Jinping, Chinese dictator Xi Jinping, who is evil. His wife is a WHO goodwill ambassador and... She's a major general in the People's Liberation Army, the Communist Liberation Army. And James Chow, another WHO Goodwill Ambassador, James Chow, propagandist for Chinese state TV. So these two communist leaders, very close with President Xi, including the wife of President Xi, are WHO's Goodwill Ambassadors. I mean, it's sick. It's, 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 it's disgraceful. It's just it's, it's beyond all human comprehension. All right, so I got to talk about New York City over here. And I want to call out some Jewish leaders, leaders of Jewish organizations, not by name, But it's really getting very, very disturbing that you have these Jewish leaders. They're kind of like they're praising Eric Adams. They're cozying up. They're buddy-buddy with Eric Adams and keep talking about how wonderful a mayor he is. And he's a disaster. Eric Adams, he's a disaster for the city. He's de Blasio 2.0. He's more polished than de Blasio. And, like, he comes across – like, he talks a better talk. So he, like, puts on this image of actually – accomplishing something with the city, cleaning up the city, and he's doing nothing. The city is in shambles, just like de Blasio, even worse. And and Eric Adams, he's just doing a better job of like pretending to be competent and pretending to know what he's doing, which in a way is even more dangerous. At least with de Blasio, everybody knew that he was a disaster. But here's my problem. My problem is, look, I understand that he has you know some from Jews who are uh, in his part of his administration, and he hire them, and obviously you're going to expect them to say positive things about Adams and to bestow praise upon him, whatever. But these Jewish organizations in Brooklyn and in other parts of the city that are supposed to be representing the from population, the from communities, and Eric Adams, I mean, anti-Semitism is 
surging out of control. It's much higher than it was over the last couple of years, and it was already high, and now it's even higher. It's frightening. And and there are a lot of other uh, New York City policies that are really harming Jews specifically in a big way, and Eric Adams has not uttered a word about them. I want to name some of those. So it's really, to me, you know, very disturbing, very upsetting, and very disingenuous that these Jewish leaders, it's almost like they just they want to be close to the power and maybe they want to get grants and, you know, they want to get like um, city funding for their organizations, perhaps. So therefore, they're cozying up to Eric Adams, even though he's he's been terrible for the Jewish community. So listen to some of these numbers over here. Anti-Semitic hate crimes in New York City were up in March 100 percent compared with March of 2021. So this past March, anti-Semitic hate crimes doubled from a year before. Now, a year before, they were pretty bad, but they doubled. This is according to NYPD. Now, in February, it was a 400% hike of anti-Semitic hate crimes in February, 300% hike in January. So you're talking about a huge, huge spike in anti-Semitic hate crimes, and we see it. We see it literally every day. There are these surveillance videos of, like, Jews in Brooklyn, Jews in other places just being attacked, just these vicious, gratuitous attacks where these, you know, minorities, these gangs, the, these monsters will just, like, walk up to these Jews and just start hitting them and punching them, spitting at them. I mean, this happens day in and day out. It's happening all the time. So anti-Semitism's out of control. So now you're going to say to me, well, the problem is the DA, the problem is the prosecutors, the George Soros DA, this Alvin Bragg and, and those policies, and the problem is no cash bail. Listen, here's the thing. Eric Adams is the mayor, Okay. He, he, he's in charge of the NYPD. The NYPD, the police can prevent crime. Rudy Giuliani, he cleaned up New York City. The way he did it was he had police stationed everywhere under Giuliani. I actually remember this. I mean, you literally, you couldn't walk two blocks without seeing a police car. There were police everywhere, and it worked. Okay, number two, they can confiscate guns. And uh, and Eric Adams, he could be very influential. He He's not even railing against these insane policies. Originally, Eric Adams came in. He said, we're going to try to reform, no cash bail. And then he just, like, gave up. And he just like caved in. You know, he could literally be very influential in pushing Democrats in New York State to change the law, but he's not doing it. Eric Adams has not spoken out against anti-Semitism, this this surge in anti-Semitism, these hate crimes all over the place. What has Eric Adams done? Even if he even if he speaks out against it, I don't care. But he hasn't even done that. But even that big deal. Anyone could talk. Talk. Talk is cheap. The point is that he hasn't he doesn't have policies. They should be protecting the NYPD. Mayor Eric Adams should be protecting Jewish communities from anti-Semitism, and they should be cracking down, especially hate crimes. You have a better shot at keeping these criminals behind bars. But he, but, but he doesn't have, you know, it, it, it's just he has no plan, and he hasn't done anything. There's no policies to protect the Jewish communities and the from communities. Eric Adams is a failure. He doesn't even care. And like I said, he doesn't need to because he goes and he, buddy, buddy, they're honoring him at a dinner for, you know, for one of these big Jewish facilities. I mean, it, it really, really is disgraceful. And by the way, what about the secular studies r- restrictions over here? Right now, there's, as you know, there's a huge campaign going on. Right now, the New York State Board of Education, the Department of Education, they're trying to literally invade yeshivas. They're trying to force yeshivas to teach more secular studies, right? The substantial equivalency, whatever. They're, they're, they're trying to force yeshivas to change their curriculum, to have less learning and um, and more secular studies, less, less learning of Torah, less learning of um, uh, of Limude Kaidish, of Limude, uh, Limude Kaidish, and, and more Limude Chol, which, which obviously that would be a nightmare. So there's a big campaign. Hopefully they're going to turn it around. But Eric Adams has not said a word. I mean, 
you're talking about he could he, he could have major major influence on this as the mayor of New York City and he's being embraced by these Jewish groups and he has not done a thing to oppose these potential secular studies regulations and restrictions so you know and and they say he's a friend of the Jews well he's not a friend of the Jews he's done nothing for the Jews he's given a couple of Jews some high positions in his administration but that's it he, you know, it's really really very very outrageous and i just want to add CUNY Law School, the faculty of CUNY Law School, CUNY Law School, City University of New York. So that is also under Mayor Eric Adams. That's under the city. CUNY Law School, their faculty just voted to support the BDS movement and divest funds from Israel. And Eric Adams has not said a word about that. All right, as I said, some incredible news out of Iran. The Israelis have assassinated another terrorist leader. They did it in broad daylight, and the killers got away with it. And in typical Mossad style, and as I said, the Mossad interrogated a senior terrorist in Iran. In Iran, they interrogated this guy. And apparently this man, well, getting back to the um, the, the man who was assassinated, this Colonel Hassan Sayyad Kodayari, he was in charge of murdering Jews in Israel and abroad. He was a colonel in the IRGC. And two men on motorcycles, literally right in front of his house, came on motorcycles, shot him, and then left without a trace in, in typical Mossad style. I mean, it hasn't yet officially, the Mossad has not officially, there was a report that Mossad admitted to America that they were behind it. We know they were behind it, but they, they didn't officially take the credit. Um, this terrorist was involved in planning kidnappings and terror attacks against Jews and Israelis worldwide. He was considered the second highest ranking commander in the Quds Force Overseas Attack Unit, and he had a close relationship with Qasem Soleimani, um, they had the, 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 these kidnappings and assassination plans of Israelis in Africa, South Africa, Cyprus, Turkey, Colombia. Um, and he also did a lot of work in Syria. And listen to this. Israel's Channel 13 News said that Qadari oversaw Quds operative Mansur Rasuli. Mansur Rasuli was the one who was interrogated by the Mossad on Iranian soil. And he admitted to the Mossad that he was recruited by the Quds force to carry out a plot to eliminate an Israeli diplomat in Turkey, a U.S. general stationed in Germany, and a journalist in France. Meanwhile, this Colonel Kodayari, uh, as I said, he master. Oh, listen to this. He masterminded the recent attempt to lure Israeli academics and former defense officials abroad to kidnap them. Um, so, pretty amazing. The Mossad got away with this. We'll get we'll get more into that the, the details about that plan to lure these Israelis and kidnap them. But um, analysts have observed that. Literally, the Mossad was able to slip in and eliminate a senior Revolutionary Guard officer, IRGC officer, in broad daylight in in front of his house, a location that's supposed to be secure. So it's really, really astonishing what the Mossad is able to get away with in Iran. Um, meanwhile, uh, it seems that the uh, th- there's been another nuclear facility in Iran that has suffered a mystery explosion Originally, the Iranians, you cannot make this stuff up, the the Iranians originally reported this as an accident. Iranian state media said there was an accident at the Parchin Military Research Center in Iran, but it was no accident. It was a drone attack, a suicide drone attack. An Iranian engineer was killed, another employee injured Wednesday evening. This attack was carried out by suicide drones, and I believe that's been confirmed by Iranian sources. Parchin is a sensitive military site where Iran has carried out nuclear bomb detonations. They've carried out these nuclear bomb experiments and detonations more than a decade ago. So the Iranians said, oh, there was an industrial accident at a factory. But it turns out it's a factory where they develop nukes. It's not a factory. It's a 
military facility, and it was not some kind of industrial accident. It was a suicide drone. But other, other than that, they got the details exactly right. And finally, getting back to this Iranian plot to lure Israelis, the Shin Bet uncovered this. This is pretty shocking. The um, the Iranians, they had these intelligence agents who used false identities to contact Israeli academics, business people, and former defense officials and invite them to overseas conferences. And um, basically, this was discovered because Israeli defense officials, some of them fell for this, but some of them, they got these emails from these these Iranians who claimed to be academics and they were suspicious. There was something about the emails that seemed suspicious to them, so they contacted the Shin Bet, and a number of Israelis were duped by these Iranian agents and almost traveled abroad to these fictitious conferences where they could have been kidnapped and who knows what else. All right, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.